I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, it's time to stop this war. The Latin Catholic Patriarch of Jerusalem pleads for an end to the Israeli-Hamas conflict. Safe and sound. A student on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land barely escapes the line of fire. Hear what she has to say. How far we've come. Lessons learned from the pandemic with former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams. And a necessary conversation. A Catholic therapist weighs in on how parents can best explain the hardships of war to their children. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Anthony Mary Claire. Our top story tonight, war rages on in the Middle East as the latest barrage of Israeli airstrikes leaves more than 700 dead. That is according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health. The destruction comes ahead of a widely anticipated ground invasion into Gaza. Recently released Israeli hostage spoke out today. The 85-year-old grandmother described her ordeal saying that she had been kidnapped on a motorbike and taken to Gaza. She likened her experience with Hamas to going through hell. French President Emmanuel Macron becomes the latest world leader to visit Israel as he extends condolences on behalf of all citizens of France to the Israelis. France's leader also spent time meeting with families of French citizens who have been killed or taken hostage in the conflict. And coming up later in our newscast, a Catholic therapist gives advice on how to talk to children about the war in the Middle East. Well, President Joe Biden's top diplomat, Anthony Blinken, sends a stern warning to Iran. Do not attack U.S. forces and don't try to open a second front in the current war between Israel and Hamas. Secretary Blinken also emphasized that every civilian life is equally valuable, adding it is imperative to protect all civilians in the conflict. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, today, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke at the United Nations, telling members the world stands at a crossroads, and there are two paths to choose from, death, destruction, and suffering delivered by Hamas, or a path towards greater peace and stability. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken tells the world the U.S. does not seek conflict with Iran, adding the U.S. doesn't want the war between Israel and Hamas to widen. But... If Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively. The secretary also said no one can imagine the nightmare the families of those being held hostage are going through. Their loved ones must be released immediately, unconditionally, and every member of this council, indeed, every member of this body, should insist on that. Hamas took hostage roughly 220 people. The Israeli military has dropped leaflets in Gaza asking Palestinians to reveal information on the hostages' whereabouts. And in the White House press briefing room today, this update. This is war. It is combat. It is bloody. It is ugly. And it's going to be messy. And innocent civilians 
are going to be hurt going forward. I wish I could tell you something different. Also, President Joe Biden, who, as this picture shows, has been meeting with his national security team on the latest developments in Israel and Gaza, took time today to award the National Medal of Science and the National Medal of Technology and Innovation, calling it a happy occasion and that we need some more happy occasions. The recipients, he said, are extraordinary, citing accomplishments like delivering clean drinking water and fuel-efficient heat sources to low-income countries, growing crops that can withstand extreme weather, deepening our knowledge of blood vessels, nerve cells, and molecules. And after that event today in the East Room, while President Biden was walking out, he was asked by a reporter whether he thinks humanitarian aid is getting into Gaza fast enough, to which the president replied, not fast enough. Meanwhile, tomorrow, President Biden welcomes Australia's prime minister here to Washington for an official state visit. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. The Latin Catholic Patriarch of Jerusalem says that it is time to stop the war in the Middle East. In a letter to his diocese, Cardinal Pierre Batista Pizzaballo wrote in part, quote, to have the courage of love and peace here today means not allowing hatred, revenge, anger, and pain to occupy all the space of our hearts, of our speech, of our thinking. It means making a personal commitment to justice, being able to affirm and announce the painful truth of injustice and evil that surrounds us without letting it pollute our relationships. Uh, since 1991, more than 8,000 students from Franciscan University of Steubenville have participated in the school's study abroad program in Austria. But for 38 of them, a recent visit to Israel became a life-altering ordeal. On October 6th, those students and their trip chaperone, Sister Lisa Shatinsky, traveled to the Holy Land to walk in the footsteps of Christ on a pilgrimage organized by the community of Beatitudes. Shortly thereafter, they found themselves in the midst of the deadly October 7th attacks. And here now to tell us more about these harrowing events and safe passage out of Israel is Franciscan student Maggie Kleb and program director Thomas Walter. Thank you both so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Maggie, I want to start with you. Uh, if you don't mind, can you please tell us a little bit about the trip and also what went through your mind when you heard about the attacks? Um, so we, as part of our whole Austria experience, we get two 10 days and one of them we get to choose what to do. And I chose to go on this 10 day pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Um, the sort of whole point of the pilgrimage was to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, um, to go where he went to do what he did. So there it was, we were pretty much roughing it, um, a good amount of the time, especially during this trip since, um, plans went a little differently. And Father Anthony, who was leading the pilgrimage, just gathered everyone together. I think it was probably like one or two in the afternoon. And he announced that the uh, that war had been declared. And um, we were all pretty silent. We were all, I think, internally thinking like, what does this mean for the rest of the pilgrimage? Does this mean we're going home? Um, I know I personally, I don't think that I fully understood like the gravity of the situation just because my thought going into the pilgrimage was, oh, it's Israel. These types of things happen. Um, it's probably not a huge deal. We'll figure it out. Like that type of thing. Uh, Thomas, I, I want to go to you next. I mean, this must have been stressful for you, though. Uh, talk to us about what you did to make sure you got the students out of Israel safely and back to Austria. 
Well, likewise, when the first attack happened on, on Saturday, we, we took about 24 hours to think about, you know, what kind of response there was going to be from the Israeli side. Because you don't know exactly if it was going to be, you know, a, a tit for tat and then let things quiet down or if this was going to escalate. And it was certainly after that 24-hour mark when things began to be um, continuing on and escalating. That's when the university, as we began to reflect on, on all, all the different aspects of where they're located, how to egress, when to egress, at a certain point, Father Dave, the president of the university, just said, you know what, it's time. And at that point, we got a new team of people involved. And very quickly, I'd say within about 36 hours, we were able to um, get the students into a hotel across the border and then and then flown out from Jordan back to back to Austria. Yeah, I mean, what a feat to do that. So once you guys were back in Austria, Maggie, I want to ask you this. Um, I guess kind of, you, you know, what were your thoughts during that time when all the news started to unfold and you really did find out what exactly was happening? Um, I definitely, like you said earlier, I was in sort of blissful ignorance throughout the entire situation. Um, I never really knew exactly what was happening. So during the whole process of leaving the country and like going to one hotel, then busing out of the country, going to another hotel, um, we, our group remained relatively joyful, but at the same time, I felt very much carried by God the whole time. So I never really was super worried. Even afterwards, I don't feel, I don't feel like looking back, I don't feel like I was ever in any real danger because God had me. So it was overall an enjoyable experience for me and I would definitely do it again. That's good, Maggie. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we're all so glad you're all so safe. Uh, Thomas, I mean, Franciscan clearly has very close ties to Israel. That said, I'm curious, is the university doing anything to maybe help the situation there? And what are the plans to send students back on that pilgrimage moving forward? I think when it comes to the future of, of the pilgrimages there, we're going to have to take that, I, you know, semester by semester, year after year, until, until the situation definitely stabilizes or, or calms down to the point where, you know, Father Dave, as well as the parents feel like, okay, it's, it's good enough to, to return. So we'll take that as it comes. Well, thank you both so much for speaking with us. We're so glad you're safe and God bless you both. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Tracy, very much. Paul Francis has accepted the resignation of a bishop from Poland. Bishop Gregorz Kazak had been facing calls to step down over poor management of scandals in his diocese. One priest had been accused of hosting a party in August with male prostitutes. The 59-year-old bishop says that he is asking forgiveness for his, quote, human limitations. Uh, Georgia's pro-life heartbeat bill remains in place for now. This after the state's highest court rejected a lower court ruling stating the six-week ban on abortion was invalid and unconstitutional. The case heads back to the lower court. The U.S. House of Representatives enters its third week without a speaker. Today, the House Republican Conference nominated Tom Emmer, a Catholic and the majority whip, to take the gavel. But late this afternoon, he dropped out. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has the very latest. Eric. 
I tell you what, Tracy, it is changing by the minute up here. After more than three hours and several rounds of voting, Republicans nominated Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer for House Speaker. But less than a few hours later, he dropped out of the race. Some Republicans say it's time to move in a new direction. What are we going to do? Go down and just put everybody in the name in the damn hat? Maybe for the first time in the history of our conference, we should consider somebody from the outside. I suggest, and I'll suggest it if we go to the House floor for a vote, that it, it is our leader, Donald J. Trump, for 100 days. 100 days. Vote was 117 to 97 for the Minnesota lawmaker who had been in the House since 2015. But more than two dozen Republicans said that they wouldn't vote for Congressman Emmer. So he soon realized that it was highly unlikely that he would ever be able to get 217 votes needed to win the speakership. So again, Tom Emmer has dropped out of the race. There was another major issue with pro-life lawmakers. Congressman Emmer, who is Catholic, voted last year to pass the Respect for Marriage Act, which codifies gay marriage, which goes against Catholic teaching. And many pro-life lawmakers said that they were against him for that. Remember, no bills can pass any government funding without a speaker. If something isn't done by November 17th, the U.S. government could face a shutdown. So right now, Republicans are back at square one. They're meeting, trying to go in a new direction. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including lessons learned, what the former U.S. Surgeon General has to say about the 2020 pandemic and how we can move forward. And we discuss with a Catholic therapist how parents can best explain the seriousness of war to their children. season is here once again. Add to that a new variant of COVID-19. And while we are much better equipped to handle the coronavirus than we were in 2020 at the start of the pandemic, there are still challenges, including a current lack of pediatric COVID vaccines in some areas, as well as updated boosters for adults. We recently spoke with a former U.S. Surgeon General on the current situation and his new book detailing what it was like leading the charge against the initial surge of COVID-19. And here to talk about this and more is Dr. Jerome Adams, former Surgeon General of the United States and author of the new book, Crisis and Chaos, Lessons from the Front Lines of the War Against COVID-19. Dr. Adams, great to be with you again. Congratulations on the new book. And I, I want to get to that in a moment. But first, can you talk to us uh, about why the boosters and the pediatric vaccine have been hard to come by? What do you know? Well, that is a great question, and uh, I, ironically, it's uh, one of the major themes of my book. We keep making the same mistakes. We remember back in uh, 2020, 2021, when we had difficulty rolling out the initial vaccines across the country, and we're seeing uh, that same difficulty getting, as you mentioned, pediatric boosters available, but even uh, updated vaccines for adults in many places, particularly when you talk about Novavax, um, which is now available and it points to uh, a lot of the underlying issues we have with public health infrastructure. Uh, we need to make sure we're appropriately funding entities at the CDC, 
um, and at the FDA and beyond so that when medications are approved, they're actually available. I want to talk about the pandemic. I mean, you were on the front lines of the pandemic from the very beginning. We didn't know what was happening. And the title of your book really kind of says it all, Crisis and Chaos. Take us back to that time and talk to us about some of the lessons that you learned. Well, the book was really therapeutic for me, to be honest, because when you're in the fog of war, you you, you don't think about what you're doing. You just you just move ahead and, and, and do the best you can. But I remember back in early 2020 when we didn't know whether to bring groceries indoors and we were wiping down all of our groceries when we didn't have enough PPE for everyone and we were forced to resort to making homemade PPE out of T-shirts and um and rubber bands. And so uh, I think the lesson there is that we have many more tools. And despite what people hear, we are in a much better place than what we were back in early 2020. However, uh, unfortunately, due to politics, due to misinformation and disinformation, and uh, due to fatigue, many people aren't leveraging or using those tools. So in the book, I give people personal tips about how to stay safe from COVID. I also talk about some societal things that we should be doing, like more wastewater testing and improving ventilation. Um, uh, these are low lift uh, uh, interventions for individuals, but can have a big impact on us from a, from a societal level. I'm curious, what was your biggest challenge at the time as far as being Surgeon General? My biggest challenge was that we had a once-in-a-century pandemic superimposed on top of a once-in-a-lifetime level of presidential election conflict. I'll give you a, a very real um, story that I tell in the book. October 2020, um, Joe Biden said that any president who was responsible for 200,000 deaths um, should no longer serve because we'd had 200,000 deaths at that point. And he was rightly raising the alarm about an unacceptable number of deaths. Well, in uh, 2021, uh, we had over 450,000 deaths, twice as many. In 2022, we had uh, still over 220,000 deaths, about 240,000 deaths. And this isn't to, to criticize Biden. It's to say that when you change the captain of the Titanic, but you don't change the course that we're going into, you're going to continue to hit that iceberg over and over again. Biggest takeaway uh, from the pandemic in your time as Surgeon General? I'd say the biggest takeaway um, from the pandemic is uh, the poor underlying health of Americans. So, that's another topic I bring up in the book. The idea that we did so much worse than the rest of the world in terms of transmission in 2020 is a myth. Uh, we actually had about the same level of transmission of most comparable um, European nations. Uh, but where we did terribly was once you got COVID, you were much more likely to end up in the hospital and die if you were uh, in America. And that had little to do with actual pandemic policies of the prior administration, but a lot to do with the fact that America is the most obese country. We have the highest high blood pressure rates. We still have some of the highest smoking rates. Uh, our poor baseline health really impacted our ability to be resilient in the face of the pandemic. And we need to focus on creating healthier communities so that we can have healthier people uh, and they will be more resilient whatever uh, hits us in the future. Well, Dr. Adams, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations again on the book. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Check it out on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. 
Up next on EWTN News Nightly, serious conversations how parents can better communicate to their children about the hardships of war. Images of war between Israel and Hamas, pictures of the destruction, the injured and the dead are everywhere. They are hard to look at for you and for me, but especially for children. So how do you explain war to children? Well, for that answer, let's bring in licensed mental health counselor and founder of CatholicTherapist.com, Allison Ricciardi. Allison, great to have you back on the show. Uh, this is a really tough topic and one, you know, as parents, we'd rather not talk to our children about, but it really is kind of hard to shield them from all of this. That said, what's your advice? I mean, should we talk to our children about war and how do we even begin that conversation? Well, remember, every child is different. So some have a more sensitive nature, some kind of let it roll off their back. So it may not be the same conversation with each child. Make sure whatever you share is number one age appropriate. They may just be asking a general question, give them a general answer. It's always important to start out, though, by asking a question like, what have you heard? What have you seen? What are your, you know, what are you worried about? To be able to allay their fears to whatever extent you can. I mean, obviously, we're living in a very difficult and very scary time. There's no way around that. But as parents, we want to be able to reassure our children. We want to protect their innocence as much as we can. So, you know, to be able to kind of answer their questions, don't give too much information. Just give them the basics that, you know, this is a political thing. And yes, people are suffering, but it's also important to try to give them something to do. And that's where as Catholics, we can be praying. We can make sacrifices that we offer up. Um, they may know friends who have parents that are in the military, that you might have family members in the military, and that's particularly scary. So are there things that they can do, donate something, uh, write a letter, something that might make them feel like they are taking some control in a really uncontrollable situation? Yeah, that's a great, great tips right there, Allison. Um, what about ground rules? I mean, there are there any ground rules, uh, you know, so to speak, like what should and shouldn't be said? Well, I think you got to be careful because being that this is a religious conflict, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, different opinions on it that we're seeing. We're seeing people that are, after Israel was attacked, defending the attackers, you know. So we have to be careful when we're talking to kids that we're not you know, talking about Jews or Muslims or whatever, because children tend to generalize. So we don't want them to walk away that, oh, all Muslims are bad, all Jews are bad. Just say that this is a conflict. You know, it's politically motivated. Most people are good, you know, so we want to really be able to kind of not not stoke any kind of prejudice or fears that are, are unfounded for them. Allison, um, what would you say are some of the most important points for parents to remember when they're having this conversation? Again, you want to reassure them that you're keeping them safe. You know, uh, you know, thank God it's not in our country. So we, you know, it's a little bit easier in the U.S. to be able to do that. But, you know, the, it is unfortunately a reality. And, you know, I, I like to maybe tell them the positives, the Battle of Lepanto, how prayer can actually change things. And even though they're one person... 
there, we're not as helpless because we do have recourse to God and that God only allows bad things if he intends to bring a greater thing. You know, so sometimes you talk about the military, that they're working to protect us, you know, that there might be a better thing that comes from this, although we can't see it now because, they, they, you know, these are terrible war atrocities that we're seeing. So one thing I would really encourage, keep the TV off as much as possible when little children are around because they don't need to see it. They don't need to hear it. Make sure that they're, if they, if it is on, that you're there and you can answer questions, reassure them. Uh, you don't, you know, even social media, we've got to be very careful and try to monitor. Now, of course, it depends on the age of the child, all right? If it's older teens, you know, they're hearing things, they may have opinions. It's always good to have a conversation where you let them speak, let them express what they're feeling, what they're going through. Now, that being said, some children and even teens and even adults, you know, the parents might be experiencing very high levels of anxiety and feelings of hopelessness. And that's when you want to reach out to a Catholic therapist, somebody who has that spiritual perspective that can help you to kind of navigate your own fears because we don't put them on our children. But also, you know, they can even coach you how to maybe deal with a child who's really struggling with with fear and anxiety and maybe even depression for, from everything that's going on right now. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this really important, all great tips right there. We appreciate it. God bless. You're welcome. God bless you. Well, in a sign of unity, Christians and Muslims gathered together for a special mass in the West Bank. The mass at St. Joseph's Church was held for the victims of a strike on a Greek Orthodox church last week that resulted in deaths and left dozens of other people wounded. Following the mass, a silent Cadillac procession was held in memory of all the Palestinian citizens killed in the conflict thus far. Well, just a reminder that EWTN is providing live coverage all week long from the Synod on Synodality. The 45-minute broadcast from the Vatican starts at 5 p.m. Eastern. It features news analysis plus exclusive interviews with church leaders and Synod participants. So do not miss it. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.